Well, good morning, Mosaic. Um, there are pandas up here. I kicked one off the stage, I think, this morning, so just letting you know, front row, it may happen again. <clears throat> we have been in the story, and we've been looking at passages and scriptures because we want to go through the narrative, because the narrative is the connective tissue that creates all of us as a community. It's, it's what helps us understand where we've been, who we are today, and where we'll, we'll go in the future. And so to spend a time in this church's life and history to stop and to pause and to look at not just a story from a lens of that's what happened, but that this is our story is crucial to where we're going in the future. And if you're here for the first time or if you're just trying to enter into this space because, you know, this, this God thing, this Christianity thing, uh, this religion thing is brand new, but something has been drawing you in, and you're, you're searching, you're looking. This is a great time to be a part of this community, and you're so welcomed. And, and I think for some of us, maybe it's, it's a renaissance of faith where you're, you're stepping back in after having had a long kind of period away from it all. It's so good to have you, and I'm, we're so grateful that you could be a part of this community today, this, this morning, to be with us. Um, it's an honor to, to have you, so thanks for being here. Well, <clears throat> the last few weeks, we've looked over the first Peter. Peter wrote it, uh, just this letter to a group of Christians spread throughout what we know as today as modern Turkey, uh, just telling them about this beautiful theological, somewhat e- ecclesiology as well, picture of, of what it looks like to be community, to be uh, followers of Jesus Christ and a living hope. This great hope we have. And the last few passages, when you read through 1 Peter, you, you just you find this incredible uh, truth of, gosh, we're, we're, we're chosen people. You know, we're, we're a people belonging, belonging to God. We, we read some of those verses this, this morning, the, the, the idea that you once were, 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 were without mercy, and now you have mercy, that you're part of a greater, if you would, a, a community, a greater kingdom, a greater city, a greater world. That, that this is what you're part of. And so today, when we go into the uh, maybe other half of chapter two of 1 Peter, Peter kind of wants to now say, okay, these are great theological, great, if you will, tones, overtones of the narrative and set up these incredible images of, of who we are as God's chosen people, as this royal priesthood. I mean, just these beautiful pictures. And now he says, but how does that work in our world. And, and that's important because these Christians are, are being persecuted or on the brink of it. Rome, Nero, who's the emperor, is on the brink of declaring a statewide cleansing. Statewide cleansing. And, and it's partly because things aren't going well in Rome. Rome has burned down. There has to be a reason for that. And these atheists called Christians who aren't polytheistic, they believe in one God, though three persons, that theology hasn't been figured out quite yet to everyone else, is probably the reason. And so there's somebody they have to blame. Compounded by this reality that Jesus died and rose 30 years ago. And they're waiting. Jesus said, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. Remember that? 
and then I'm going to come back, and all of this is going to be made right. And, and I wonder just in those moments when they've been told these stories and when they've been taught by Peter and other disciples and apostles, how they would have just wondered, well, when, when is it going to happen? What would have kept them in? I mean, the patience, the, the wherewithal to stay in it, what was it? I mean, I, um, I get upset when I can't order my coffee in a coffee shop if it takes me more than one minute. If I'm not walking in and they don't know that I just like this coffee, I'm upset already. It's, just, it's like everything in life is a little bit like that, where we're just, you're so tense over how long it takes to get something. If my computer doesn't work or if, if I can't save something in seconds, I'm just all over the place. And why doesn't my computer work? You can imagine now 30 years with all this compounding effect of suffering and possible, possibly on the brink of, of hardship, that this has got to be a time when they would disband. If we're just honest in this space right now, if that was us, I think, I think I'd have to just look real deeply and say, would, would I give up on this whole thing? And yet, that was the irony of it. They didn't. And in fact, the church began to grow. It began to scale, not decrease. And Peter paints the picture, I think, of what it was that made them go, wow, we're in this. And it's a picture of home. Home. When you say it, it sounds so good. Home. I went camping over the summer home. I love home. I love my bed. I love my couches. I love where I put my coffee in the morning. I love my, you know, home, home. I think some of us in this space are probably looking for home, needing home. So Peter says, we got to build home. And so we're going to pick up here in chapter two of first Peter. I'm going to go from 11 uh, through 12, and then we're going to skip, uh, not skip, but go right through 13 and then into 17. And out of that, we're going to see this picture of home and the challenge of building home as believers, and then some of the essentials that it takes to really do this effectively. So uh, if you have a Bible, great, go ahead and read. If not, because you you, you don't have a Bible and you're brand new to this, cool, just read along on the screen. It's it's really there for, for everybody. Dear friends... I urge you, I love that. It's like the letter now begins. Right? Now, now, now we get into the nuts and bolts of everything. I've painted this great picture. Now let's go. Let's do this together. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world, sometimes your translations might say exiles, to abstain from sinful desires which, which, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Right, that that picture of they're aliens means that they're not citizens. They're not natural-born citizens of the empire. They've been forced into immigration. They've been told to, uh, you have to strip yourself of certain cultures and certain roots, and and we're going to take what you own, and it's going to be, this is what you have to do now. So they don't have no rights. They have no rights. They've been completely stripped of them. And even though Rome wants a just world where all things lead to Rome, it's not achieving that. It's all just kind of a facade. And he also calls them exiles, meaning that there is a home, and it's not this. 
that Christ has come, that he has died, and he's inaugurated things, and there is a home, and it's with God, and God has restore, is restoring things, but it hasn't quite happened yet. Inaugurated, but not yet. So home is not necessarily here. It will be here. It is growing into that, but it's not here yet. Right? You feel that, that tension that they must be feeling and experiencing? And he goes into this, uh, this, not this rant on morality, because he's not at all, at all impressed with it. He doesn't even care about the morality. What he's trying to say is there are certain things in this context that if you give into, you're going to feel like you're in more exile, that you're farther away from the home that you desire, that it'll be so distorted that if you give into certain things like anger, which would make a lot of sense in this era, if you get into things like greed and envy because you don't have the things that everyone else has, that at some point, not only is it going to be dangerous and violent, maybe verbally and physically, but it's going to torture your soul. Your soul. You see that word soul there? It comes from this Greek word, pasuke. It's this idea that it's the seat of who you are. It's the intellect. It's the mind. It's the emotions. It's the heart of who you are. They're so worried. He's so worried that if they give into these things, they're going to extend themselves further away as a distorted picture of their own identities, but also a distorted picture of home. And eventually, they're going to miss it. They're going to long for it. And it's going to get harder and harder to reach it. It's like the picture of Adam and Eve. One of the things that we did have been doing is we started in Genesis 1, and I don't know if you remember, but Tim really laid this out, that there was this really incredible garden, and there was this, this moment where God had created all things, and it was what? It was good. And then sin and brokenness and hate and envy and shame and all these things come into the world, and now they're experiencing the first exile, and now they're on the outside of the garden looking in, and they long for it. And history keeps showing that the more they give into these desires, the more they, they move into exile. And he's just saying, listen, we don't want to move into that exile any longer. We, we don't want to. It's kind of like in my home, I am the donkey. Because I forget sometimes, I just can't say things that aren't healthy and fair. And so when I hurt my family with my words or my actions, uh, the rule is uh, if I hurt one person, I've hurt everyone. And so I have to say sorry to every single person in my home. And so, you know, lovingly, hopefully, they, they say, well, you're, you're, you're forgiven. We go through that important practice. But isn't it true when you've had a fight with a friend, a roommate, a coworker, that you come back to the table, maybe you've said your peace and, and think it's not peaceful. You try to have a meal right after you've had a fight, and you can't have that meal. You, you, could, you could try to get to but, but you, it, but you don't have home. It's not quite right. And it takes a while to get back to home, doesn't it? You'll get there, but it's hard. It's difficult. And so giving into certain things that create hate and anger, all these things that we might picture in our minds that would, would create any kind of action out of us is what he's most worried about. So he says, let's not do these things that move us out of, into more exile, but actually let's do the things that while we're in this state of trying to figure out who we are in Christ, let's build home. And he says this, and I'm going to come back to this in verse 12, where he says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits, visits us. In other words, <clears throat> to do good. Let's go build this home by doing good, good things, generosity, kindness, empathy, 
Not because we want to be good, but because God is good. We just sang that, didn't we? That out of his goodness, what he did for us, what he, he clothes us with righteousness, that he makes us good because he's selfless and came and gave us that. That now out of that place of his character, he declares us good. And so therefore, we can be selfless as well in the world with the goal of helping others. And that's really what he wants to say. I think the apex, the thesis of this whole thing is that in our exile, we can be selfless. That in our selflessness, we can also bring others who might reflect the kingdom too. It was an open invitation, and everybody loved it. It was a great calling. And then Peter says, but let's get down to the nitty-gritty. Because your world, our world, is jacked. And he wants to go through what it looks like relationally in the world because God is relational, we were made relational. How does that all work in the real world? And in the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at how that all works really tangibly in a tactile way. And today, we're going to look at the idea of government. Well, that isn't somewhat of a charged thing, but that was the reality. Peter wanted to know and tell them, this is how we're going to do it. We're going to do it not outside the system, but in it. And so he goes into this, and I'll tell you in advance, when I read this, I was like a little bit uncomfortable, I was a little worked up. Um, it was a little jarring, but then I thought about the context, and I thought, oh, this is the most liberating thing I've ever read. It says in verse 13, Peter writes, uh, writes uh, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. Now, that word submit is like a four-letter word in our culture today. It is a dirty word. And being as someone who challenges everything, just because I'm an eight in the Enneagram, this is a hard word for me. I mean, when... My, my family Google Maps anything, and I'm there, and my wife, who I've been married 18 years, says, this is how we go. I will say, no, I don't want to do that. I, submitting is hard. But the word submit here is so significant because it's not talking about that I just do whatever you say and I have no say in it or can't in any way disagree with it. In fact, when he couples it, when he says, submit, right? And he says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. He's saying, he's actually normalizing, demystifying government. Because for the Lord's sake, it's to say there is a Lord and you belong to him. And in fact, it's saying this right here is just what it is. It's the order. It's, it's, it's how things work. And that's the idea of submitting. It's the idea that you're going and that we are yielding to an order. It, the, the actual Greek word, word for word, root for word, is to place oneself under an order. Right? Under an order. And I know order is hard. I, I have kids, and I have right now a kindergartner who's learning to play soccer. And if you've ever seen this, it is the worst experience you will ever have. 
because it's like six to 12 kids all kicking in a mosh pit this ball down into some goal that doesn't even look like a goal. It's just some net that we man, it's humanly made. It's horrible. It's a horrible experience altogether. And then my older kids who actually play, play some competitive uh, soccer, go Timbers, yes? Yeah. Um, they don't, he don't play for the, the Timbers, but that would be awesome. <laughs> It's actually got rules. (laughs) That there are positions. There's an offense and a defense side. There's actually lines that you have to abide by. Um, There's a there's a there's a referee. There's a coach. There are captains. You know, order. So that something can run and be successful. But even physically, biologically, I you know, Tim said, hey, can we just pause and take a deep breath and and listen, you, you, to even take that deep breath requires nitrogen and oxygen to come together before you can even have it. That oxygen is a compound of, of a couple of elements, and, and then you have suddenly oxygen. Order is not wrong. And submitting here is, is a significant thing. You're just saying, hey, this is the way it is. Doesn't mean you can't have an opinion. Again, doesn't mean that there aren't things that, that you can't say no to if the government especially is saying something that isn't right. It's just saying, yield to this order. But to what end, right? That's the question. For what purpose? And that's what Peter's really trying to draw out. He's not just saying, hey, submit to the authorities for the sake of doing it in a mindless way. He's actually being really mindful. And this really comes out after he said, hey, there are these governors and there's, this, this, there's these people that he keeps sending, Nero keeps sending to decide who's good and who's not. He, he suddenly liberates us with the reason why we're supposed to be in this order and this system. He says in verse 15, for it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish Men, for it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Now, Christians were, were seen as a little bit different because, again, they, were, they weren't polytheistic. They believed in this God who had come and incarnated. That was brand new. No one had really ever heard of that really before that would resurrect one day. That, that was brand new. No one had ever heard that. And so there were some rumors about even them eating bodies and drinking blood. It was kind of like your everyday vampire story. So Christians were seen as a little bit outside. They were alienated. It was easy for Rome to go, that's just weird, let's go get them. And so to Peter knew that the reality is that you, you, you can't be alienated. You have to be in the system. You have to show character. You have to show what you bring to the table, that this is part of your world, and it is God's world. And so he says, let's go in there, and let's show good. Let's be selfless with our lives. Let's do things for the world, because the world is trying to figure out not just how to do it, but who should do it, and and what does that look like? And, And so let's build a home. Let's build a vision of what it should look like. But if you dig deeper in the context and the surface of all of this is when he says that they were sending people who decided who was doing good and who should be punished, you understand that at this time, most of Rome wasn't natural born citizens, weren't natural born citizens. It was different races and cultures and people who were told that they had to be in this place because they had been conquered and colonized. And so only citizens could be deemed good. So much so that in modern Turkey, when you walk through it, you see these erected images of people that they deemed good. Never, ever those who weren't a part of a kind of bloodline to Rome. And then here are these 
so-called Christians showing how it could be done, and they weren't citizens. And they were selflessly helping people, and people were being invited to be just as useful. They were being deemed good. They were hearing things that we read. They they could be a chosen people. They could be a royal priesthood. They could be part of a a beautiful nation. They they were people belonging to God, that they were once declared unrighteousness, but now they could declare the praises of him in the wonderful light that, that God had called them to. It was so liberating. They brought dignity where there was no dignity. They brought value where there was no value. They said people are equitable, treated and loved by God, because all were made in the image of God. Christianity birthed an incredible movement of justice. And now, and now, they were waiting to see what all come in. And they did. They wanted it. It was the good news. They were all in. I would join that, and I did. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men, that they could be deemed valuable in the world. But out of this came this reality and this challenge that I think Peter is really going to highlight here, that to really change a system, transform it, you have to be in the system. You can't do it on the outside. If you do it on the outside, you don't, you know, nothing gets done. So stay in the order. Stay yield to the government, not because you love the government, but because you understand you're not going to wait for government to figure out how to do it. But that the church of all places and communities and groups can every, in every way show exactly how to do it and get it done. And the challenge became so evident in verse 16. He says, therefore, live as free men, as human beings, because your freedom is that you can freely submit. It is up to you because you are what? You belong to Jesus. You belong to him, so you can freely do this. But if you do this, if you're a part of this, if this sounds right to you, he says, do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. In other words, the more you do good, the more you're going to uncover what? Evil. At Christmas, we always read John 1. The word became flesh and it dwelt amongst us. And the beautiful picture that Light is entering into darkness, but darkness does not overcome it. It's the picture of the incarnate God in the incarnate church, if you will. Has to understand that we can't blend. We just can't blend into society. We can't just ignore that there are things that aren't fair or right in the world. uh, And that there isn't evil. Right? You, you see what Peter is saying is is the challenge of our freedom is is this, is that, that we're going to live uncomfortably. Because we're not really plan C of God's plan. We're not plan B, because he didn't get the right first one right. We're plan A. <laughs> Mosaic, we're plan A. And so that's the challenge of what it looks like to really engage this. So don't look at submitting to authorities as this, this overbearing, oh my gosh, we're just going to have to do everything the government says. No, we're going to do exactly what Christ says. What the kingdom is supposed to be like, selfless living, and we're going to invite everyone into it. That's the picture of home and building home. 
So some of the essentials are key, though. It's like you, you kind of start asking yourself, like, how is this going to work? And, and, and at first I thought, okay, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go out there right now. <laughs> we're going to rave, you know, to do our banners. And like, you know, you know like, to me, it would have been so easy because I'm just so like, let's go, let's go, let's go. But you know what? Peter is so much, um, he's so wise. He's way smarter than me. In fact, he, this is like at the end of his life, he's going to be martyred here in just a little while after he's written these letters. And I think he knows it. There's a wisdom about him. He's been around the block more than a few times. He's seen a thing or two. And it's almost like he pauses and he says, here's how it's going to work. He says in verse 17, he writes, show proper respect to everyone. It's a call to unity. That your actions, your words, the things you do, does it actually draw people in or does it push people out? Respect everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers, the family of believers, right? That word believers is actually a compound word that says those who are loved by, right? The loved ones. By God. Right? Step into that more. And then he says, fear God. Honor, right? Honor the emperor. Right? He starts with actually the, the believers. Why? Right? right? Because if the core is not right, <laughs> if the core of people who are supposed to go build is not right, nothing is right. It won't work out there. To love people here in our, in our community is necessary for us to be what? What, what, what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, that a city on a hill that, that can't you know, be hidden, that we're light in dark spaces. But if we're not right, nothing is right. Don't, we, can't, we can't do things on the outside. If inside, we're, 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 we're broken. Right? It's kind of like a contractor who builds beautiful homes and buildings. And every time you walk into the buildings that he or she somehow made or built, you walk in and it's like, whoa, these are beautiful. And then he invites you or she invites you over for dinner. And then you walk into their home and it's like, whoa, whoa, your, your ceiling's falling apart. <laughs> the plumbing doesn't work. Electricity isn't, what's going on here, Right? It's, it's, it's crazy in here. Your, your, your floor is bubbling up because you, you haven't laid down the foundation. Can you imagine that picture? Or, or you know how we, we read in scripture, oh, go love the widows and the orphans. Absolutely. That's like Paul's whole thing. Like, hey, listen, if there's one thing that you remember, don't forget the widows and the orphans. But let's go care for the widows and the orphans, orphans and then come back to our own homes and we've got widows and orphans in our own home because we're not loving well. It doesn't work that way. The core of who we are has to be healthy and right. And in this season of Jubilee, what, the, the wisdom that the, 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 the executive you know, team and the board and the vision team has said, we've got to pause and love each other. If, if a person can't walk across the room and find a person that says, listen, I'm struggling with, with mental health. I don't know what to do. Can you help me? If, if that isn't happening, let's not pretend like we're going to be effective outside these four walls. Let's just not pretend. Let's not be fake. You know, if a person's struggling mentally, emotionally, spiritually, isn't this the place that it's got to happen first? 
Are we serving each other? And you see on the sides here, these sign-up sheets. So not just sign-up sheets. These are moments for us to engage our community, to find spaces and places that we can be connective tissue so that this is healthy and strong and can do great things. That going downstairs and telling a kid that God loves them may be the one thing that changes that young person's life forever. Or figuring out a way to make these lights turn on and off when they don't turn on and they don't turn off is helpful for all of us. That heat, all these things that are necessary to do worship, all these things are essential for us to be effective together and to love one another. So don't, don't shy away. Jump in. And if you don't have community, go for it. This is a great time to be a part of Mosaic, to be a part of this growing reality of what we're doing here and will do for the city and beyond, like places that we serve in Kosovo. It's exciting. And this is why Jesus says, they're going to know you're my disciples by the way you what? By the way, you what? Yeah, by the way, you love one another. So let's do that. That's essential and core. And then, and then he says, fear God. And, and he couples this with honor the emperor. And, and you know, it's easy to kind of be respectful to somebody that you even disagree with and don't even approve if you know who you actually are fearing. And this word fear God is not the kind of emotional fear and trembling because God said something and now I'm scared. Because I actually think in this world and in your lives, in mine, we've all had people like that in our lives who have made us uncomfortable by just simply saying things. And, and I, I know that's a reality for a lot of us. Right, but, but here, the idea of fear is not that. It's actually a reverence, a worship. I love how Tim and I were talking about this. He says, John, you know, the things that we yield to or submit our lives to are the things we ultimately reflect. It's much easier for me to worship this God who loves me and then kind of look at, okay, this is kind of petty over here with some of the things that maybe the king and the emperor is doing. Even if it's not, I can say, you know, it's, I'm not going to lose sleep over this. Let me show you a, a slide here. I, uh, I sit on an investment committee. This is not investment advice. I'm just letting you know in advance. But every time a policy is made or uh, a tweet goes out, this is how the entire investment community responds. Now, this is not something about Trump, so please calm down. If they're, you know, I'm, not, I'm not trying to get into political. I'm just saying this is how we respond to things. And how everyone goes crazy. And in fact, my, um, the investment firm that I get to, uh, that's partnering with this uh, committee that I'm on, it, 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 he actually said, the lead uh, analyst said, you know what, we just need to all calm down. I thought, gosh, man, that's speaking my language right now. We just need to calm down. And to me, I was saying, we just need to worship the right things. And the right being and the right person, and understand what the, the real cause is, is all about in the, in the world. 
And so I drew this, this line wasn't there. I, I kind of jacked it from him. I took it from him. But I drew this blue line because I think that's what it looks like to worship God, to cut through all the mess. I'm not talking about that you should invest or not. I'm just talking about this is everyday life for everybody. This, was, this is me every day when I wake up and go to work and come back. I can outline exactly when it happens. The, the high, high part is when I, when, I, when I actually go to bed, you know, that part. Uh, the low part is that I, sometimes I have to make breakfast in the morning. That's it's a tragedy in my home. Right, right. But, but I imagine some of us have, are, have been in this season. This is how it's working for some of us. And I think what Peter is saying, in the midst of all this chaos, and even in the midst of some things that are going on in our world, gosh, we can, we can be steady. We can be calm. We can be the voice of reason. And in a day and age where I think we can all agree, it is, it is politically, it is havoc. That if there was a moment in time, and there have been many moments, where the church could be really effective and important to the landscape of things, not just in our city, but beyond, this is the time. We can be calm. We can be the voice of reason. We can be steady because we, what? We yield to a God who is loving, a king who has said, you belong to me, so calm down. I'm still the king. This has been me, and I, and I mean that honestly. There's been loss in my family. There's been some job change situations. What is it going to be for you? Come back to this body of believers. Come back to your first true love. Worship the God who says, you belong to me. And be and realize the steadiness that you have in the midst of so much chaos going on, maybe personally and in the world. So... What's our first steps? Well, I was thinking the other day, <laughs> maybe we should get some sticky notes out. We'll write a bunch of things we can do. That's really silly. Let's not do that. Because I think I know really the step and the constant step and the, the continual step we need to do is to come and be with the one who makes us steady. So I'm going to invite the band to come forward. And we're going to take what, from the table what we call communion here in Mosaic. And part of this reality is that we, we get to worship and, and, and adore a God who came himself. And he selflessly came. And he yielded to, to the authorities. And he gave his life in the midst of evil. And he worked not around the system, but in the system. So that we all one day could be what? Selfless and steady too. And so the only way we get to that steadiness is to, coming, is to come forward and be with the one who was selfless with us. The one who made steady possible for us. In a world that is longing for it. So when you are ready, come to the table, the body that was broken for you and me, and the cup 
It represents the blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. You, you take that bread, you dip it in the, in the cup, and as you eat, you're really declaring, the, yes, the Lord's death, but more, that the selfless one who came for you is telling you, I love you, and now you can love others the same way, that you can be selfless in the midst of exile, that you can take on the uncomfortable states of places that you find yourself in, even if these are in areas where authorities are hard or people are hard to deal with. Yeah, you can take on things because you have him. And as you take it, be selfless because he's been selfless uh, with you. Let's pray. Father, Son, Jesus, Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you so much for giving us home and being selfless so that we don't have to fear what is happening around us, but that we can come to you without any inhibitions, without any reservations, and just worship and be at your feet and to know that you are, in fact, good. Help us to be selfless with our lives in response to your selflessness with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.